The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. Well, we've been walking through the book of Galatians, and so let's continue in our in Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to start reading in Galatians 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You're severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. And the one who is troubling you will hear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom. Brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Well, we are going to finish up, believe it or not, November, we're going to spend each week, the next four weeks, finishing up the book of Galatians. And if you think October went really fast, in four weeks, we begin Advent. Okay, that's just ridiculous. Four weeks, it's December, and we're there. And so it's been a great journey through the book of Galatians, and we finish it up uh, at the end of this month. Now, we love going through books of the Bible. You know, probably about 85 to 90 percent of, of our year is spent going through books of the Bible. And sometimes we'll spend, we'll spend time going through a topical series. Um, but mostly it's through books of the Bible. And a lot of prayer and thought has gone into how do we decide which books of the Bible to study and to teach through. And I want to let you know a, a little secret, I guess, for this book of the Bible, uh, Galatians, the whole point of preaching this entire book was really to get to this verse today. Because this is really the verse, particularly Galatians 5.1, that really rested in my heart and inspired me to really walk through this entire book. It's not the only reason we've gone through the book, but it was really this, the main inspiration to really walk through this book together. And if we can wrap our hearts around this passage, and if we can wrap our hearts and minds about understanding Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, and know what that means for us. It'll impact every area of our life. Even the areas of our life that, we, that would seem less spiritual or just more mundane. If we understand this and grasp this, it'll change the way we see everything. And that's what freedom does. And it's really the reason why it inspired our graphic for this whole series. Freedom, freedom in Christ. For freedom, Christ has set you free. And when we grasp freedom and understand its implications for our life, it rearranges everything. 
It changes our perspective on how we see people we love, people we hate, people we interact with every day, how we view God, how we even view ourselves. And when you talk about freedom to other people or people share with you what freedom means to them, you might get different answers from different people. Consider the perspective from a prison inmate who's freshly got out of prison. Their idea of freedom is particular and refreshing. Freedom to do as they please and come and go as they please, to not be confined uh, in chains or in a cell, but to have freedom in their life. Or a citizen who is from a a dictatorial or communist country who moves to the United States and now finds himself in a, a, a social freedom. Freedom from a constant watch or constant control. Or even talking to a teenager who just got their license. Freedom. What does freedom mean for this person? Freedom in their social life. Freedom to to go as they please, freedom to... Now, their whole world is open up to them, and they now see life completely different and new. But here in verse 1, for freedom, Christ has set you free. It is not talking primarily about a, a, an economical freedom or a social freedom or even a physical freedom, but a freedom beyond that. The kind of freedom that makes us free from character improvement in order to be accepted by God. Freedom from the shame and guilt of making mistakes. Freedom from having a performance-based acceptance from God. And earlier in this letter, as we've been walking through it, we learned that Paul is pursuing them and writing to them, and he mentions that the pursuit of salvation or acceptance from God through character improvement or adherence to the law of Moses had become a curse for them. And they wanted to do right. They wanted to obey God. And they had a list of things that they needed to do to obey God. And instead of these things becoming for them freedom, it became for them a curse. And so what they wanted to pursue, they were not getting. And the opposite of what they wanted was happening. They were bound to it. Because no matter how hard they tried, no matter what they did, they still failed to keep the law. And that's why the Bible calls it a curse. No matter how hard we try, we're always behind. We're always lacking. We can never quite get it perfect. And I see this kind of law operating in my life in different ways and through my life in different ways. You know, we all have different laws that we live by. You know, for me, the laws that have been present in my life are, one, the laws of my parents growing up. Now, the laws of my parents, these were laws that my parents said, here is what you must do. Here's what I expect from you. Here's what it means to be a part of this family. And here are the things that if you disobey, you'll find discipline. And if you, if you obey, there'll be reward. And so there were laws that I was living by from my parents. And then, of course, commonly as we understand, there are, there are government laws, of course. There are laws that the government says, here are things that you must abide by. And if you don't, then there will be punishment. And if you do, then there'll be reward. Then there are laws of, of God, of course. Here are the things that God says showed me how to please him, showed me what is right and wrong, and these are the laws that God put. And then there are other laws that I live by, and these are laws that I write for myself. And maybe you have these unspoken laws in your own life. See, these are laws that say, this is the kind of person that I should be. This is the kind of person that I want to be. Here are the expectations that I have for myself. 
I want to be likable. I want to be fun. I want to be charming. I want to be smart. I want to be well-behaved. I want to be successful. And these are the expectations that I have for myself. And when I don't meet them, there's shame, there's disappointment, there's guilt, just like any of the other laws. Here's the problem with these laws. And maybe these four laws have been operating in your life. Maybe you would add some laws to that. But no matter how hard I try, I found that I couldn't keep any of these laws. And when I didn't keep these laws, I felt them as a curse. I felt like I was a slave to it. I felt like shame, disappointment, and guilt. The law for me seemed to be not freedom, but more like quicksand. Do you know what I mean? The, the harder I try to save myself, the harder I try to pursue these laws and get it right, it seemed like the further, the further I sunk, the further deep I got away from finding freedom. The harder I try to make sure that, that no one knows my weaknesses, it seems like my weaknesses are shown even more clearly. Do you know what I mean? The thing that I'm afraid of most, if I try to control that and make sure it doesn't happen, it seems to happen anyway. And it's not a freedom. I wasn't feeling free. I was feeling burdened. I was feeling as a slave. And then there was something that happened. There was the only word that I can describe, describe that, that tells you what my transition was like from that life of feeling shame and guilt to all those laws to a life now in Christ realizing that when the Bible talks about a sinner that Christ died for to set that person free, he was talking directly about me. The word that I would describe would be freedom. Of course, there was feelings of joy and relief and contentment and peace. But above all things, there was this sense of freedom. When I came to an end of myself of making everything right and I began trusting in Christ, I truly experienced freedom for the first time. And I was free because God gave me this one-way love. And that's what grace is. And that's what, that's what grace does, is it accomplishes freedom because it is this one-way love. An author, Paul Zoll, that, that writes this book, Grace in Practice, he says, grace is this one-way love. It is the change agent in life. This phrase in Galatians 5.1, he says, For freedom Christ has set you free. It means that this completed act in the past is, has present and future implications. Now, I don't know how good you are at your English class or your grammar class, and you're remembering different tenses and past, future, present. Well, there's a tense called the aorist tense. This doesn't mean anything to you, but it does for this passage. It means when something is written in the aorist tense, it means that it has a past completion. It is a past act that has happened that has present and future implications. And when Paul is saying, for freedom, Christ has set you free, he's saying there is something that Christ has done, a definite moment in time in the past, that has, that has real, meaningful implications for your life today and forever. And so we live in light of the work of Christ. We live in light of his freedom that he has purchased for us on the cross. And yet, he warns us. This is where he goes on. After Galatians 5.1, he says, actually in 5.1, he says, For freedom Christ has set you free. But then he says, Stand firm, 
therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Why is this? We look at that. Christ has secured our freedom. He has died on the cross for our sins. We are free from earning our acceptance from Christ through our behavior, through our character, through our performance. And yet he gives us a warning that is so good for us to hear. He says, therefore, stand firm. Because he wants us to see something about our freedom, even though it is secure in Christ by our faith, it is still very fragile. We're encouraged to stand firm, uh, firm, to be diligent, to remember, to preserve, to rejoice in a salvation by grace alone in our lives. Encountering every failure, every challenge in light of our freedom in Christ that we've received by faith. And this warning is important to the Galatians because they're faced with this either-or scenario. Either they rest in Christ and what he has done as a means of their acceptance with God, or they look at the, their character improvement, they look at the law of God and what it expects, and they try to adhere to this law, trying to gain further of God's love and acceptance and, and salvation. And Paul says, you can't have either or. You can only have one or the other, because only one or the other operates in our life, realistically. And the warning for them is the same warning for us. Paul says, it doesn't matter if that you have said at some point that you're converted, and that you feel that Christ has changed your life, and that you're glad that he's in your life, and then that you appreciate what he's done, and then you look to something else to justify your relationship with God. If your acceptance before God, and therefore your salvations, rest in any amount of your own work, then Paul says we abandon the gospel. We abandon a faith alone gospel. We deny that salvation by faith is what makes us children of God and heirs to his promise. We get into some real difficult content here. Look in verse 4. It would seem, I'll read it. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. It would seem here that in Paul's warning, that a Christian, having trusted in Christ, can lose their salvation. Doesn't it seem like that, reading that verse? And you know if you've been here and you've heard me say that this that is not what we believe, that we do not believe the Bible teaches that you can once receive God's salvation, be an heir to his promise, and then lose it. But it would seem here in verse 4 that, that you can, that once having been a Christian, you can lose this if you if your freedom becomes lost. And Paul is making a point here. And here's the good point for us to realize, that the acid test for for whether or not someone is in Christ and truly a Christian is not that person's desire to follow God, but rather a certainty of their present and future acceptance of God based on faith. And he says, if you don't have that, then you don't understand the gospel and you don't rest in Christ for your salvation. And if you've abandoned that, if you've neglected to embrace that and trust in Christ, then you're trusting in yourself or some combination of that. And then he says to them, as we go further on in verse 5 to 6, he says, but I'm confident 
This is what I love. He says, but I'm confident that you have received Christ, that you do trust in Christ, and that your salvation is, is secure, but your freedom is fragile. And that's good for us to know. That you're not living, when you're trusting in something else, you're not living in accord with the freedom of Christ that he has given to you. What is saving faith? What does it mean to have saving faith? What does it mean to trust in Christ in such a way that we are forgiven and saved? What does it mean to do that? Look at verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. Faith is the hope of righteousness. Now, we really have a hard time understanding hope. And I've even been in conversations in the last uh, few weeks on this. What is hope? What is faith? How do they work together? What is hope really? And I think we have a really hard time understanding what, how the Bible describes hope because we're using it the wrong way. And the English language gets it the wrong way. We don't use hope the way that it's meant to be used. How do you usually use hope? I hope that I get to go to, out to lunch today. I hope that I win the lottery. I hope that I get this job. I hope. So these are all things we say that we hope. And what we're actually saying and meaning is I wish. So we're not certain that it'll happen. We actually look forward to it. We hope that it'll happen. See, I even, I'm using it wrong because you understand what I'm saying. We are wishing that it will happen. And in this way, hope is not a certainty, it's not a confidence, it's not assurance that we have, but it's more of a, I hope so. It's an earnest, anxious anticipation. I hope that this happens, and instead of a confidence, we feel anxious, we feel insecure, and therefore we worry. I hope it happens, I hope this doesn't happen. And words over time, they they change meaning, and so it's important to know, what does faith have to do with hope? Let me give you an example. Something that has a little bit of awe. Something that has a little bit of awe in it. Awe and wonder is is awful. So something that is full of awe is is good or bad. That's super bad. Awful. You look awful today. That's not a compliment. Right? So if we say something is full of awe, that's actually a, a bad thing. It's a negative. But if something has a little bit of awe or some awe, it's awesome. Is that good or bad? That's good. You want to be awesome. You want to be awesome. So we say, that's awesome. We don't mean, yeah, it's almost pretty good, but it's not awful, but it's almost good. No, we're saying that is awesome, but something that is full of all is actually bad. So you see, we use it wrong. We don't understand it. That's what's going on with hope. We are not using hope right. What does it look like to use hope right? And here is what we understand. This word that is used in this Greek language it means, it is the language that is written, the meaning that it was supposed to get conveyed to us is this assurance, a powerful assurance, a certainty, an accomplishment that God has secured for us. The person who trusts in Christ by faith does not hope so, but lives by assurance of what Christ has done, fully confident in what he has done and lives their life in present awareness of what Christ has done and rests everything in their life on this completed work of Christ. There is no hope so. There is no wish. There is a I know. I'm assured. I am confident. Because what Christ has done, He has set me free. 
And here is where we can apply this. Are you a Christian, but are you lacking in joy? Are you a Christian, but are paralyzed by shame and guilt and performance? Are you a Christian, but you are preoccupied with striving for righteousness, being a better person, rather than living in the freedom and righteousness of Christ that he has secured for us? Some of, your, some of you are, are Christians. You're a Christian today. And I don't, want to get, I don't want you to put you in a position of doubting your security with Christ, but I want you to see that your freedom and living in light of the gospel is fragile. Because you are a slave. We can all be slaves to someone else's laws. We can all be a slave to the laws that someone else is writing for us and saying, here's how you should act. Here's how you should behave. A slave to our own laws that we write for ourselves and saying, here's the person that I should be. And when we don't live up to those expectations, we feel shame, embarrassed, guilt, humiliation. The telltale sign that you and I are not standing firm in the faith, as Paul encourages us to do, to stand firm, therefore, in the faith, is that we have begun to lose the joy of living the Christian life. That the Christian life and pursuing God and loving His commands and loving others has become a chore rather than a joy. And by faith in Christ, we can live today in light of this certain and guaranteed and future welcome into the arms and acceptance of Christ. Because of what he did. And this is the only thing that matters. This is the only thing that matters for Paul. He says, why should you not, why, should, why am I so perplexed and frustrated that you're pursuing this performance-based righteousness, not because the law doesn't matter, because it doesn't matter, and, and even if you obey it, it doesn't matter. Whether you obey or disobey, these do not essentially matter, but what essentially matters is your faith in the work of Christ. He says, circumcision is of no value. And then we might think, oh, okay, well then I'm not going to get circumcised, and that's the right thing to do. And then he says, well, uncircumcision, uncircumcision doesn't matter. It's just confusing. So should I or shouldn't I? Paul says you've missed the gospel. It's not about should or shouldn't. It's about Christ and what he's done. And I'm a little surprised by this, actually. I'm a little surprised that someone like Paul, what do we know about him? What do we know about his pedigree? I mean, uh, uh, the best kind of Pharisee, uh, from birth, groomed to know the law of God. He has memorized the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. He has memorized by heart. He is the best of the best. He has, he's been groomed to be the next big leader in the community of faith for Israel. And he says, you know what matters to the Christian faith? Faith worked out in love. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God 
and obey his commands. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commands, and his commandments are not burdensome. Here is the telltale sign that we are living in light of freedom in Christ. Do you love what God loves? Do you hate what God hates? Real faith will energize a love for God and a love for others. Do normal Christian practices bring you real soul rest, real joy? And if not, then there's something weak in the gospel understanding in your heart. There's something where your freedom is, being, is, is fragile, where there are cracks. Where, and of course, we all have this. We all, to some extent, have a weakness in our understanding of what the gospel really is. But the task for us is to stand firm in this, to regularly preach it to ourselves, to dig into God's word, to listen to podcasts, to read gospel-centered books that talk about the grace of God. We have one on the bookshelf. This isn't a plug. It is called The Grace of God. It's actually called A Book You'll Actually Read on the Grace of God. Because these are important things. We should saturate our life with gospel thinking. Not in performance-based acceptance. You may be familiar with uh, a denomination called the Methodists. And it's a movement that began in the mid-18th century with a small group of men out of the University of Oxford. And these men got together, and among this group were some of the pillars of the Christian faith, like John and Charles Wesley and and George Whitfield. And they would regularly meet for a Bible study and pursuing a zeal for God and a pious lifestyle and obeying the the, the Word of God. And yet, among all of this searching... They recognized they lost something in there. All of this searching and zeal to obey the word of God, they realized they lost sight of something that really, really mattered. And George Whitfield would come to this realization. I have a quote for you from George Whitfield. He said, I learned a man may go to church, say his prayers, receive the sacrament, and yet not be a Christian. Now, he is not in any way saying these things don't matter. Worshiping God, saying your prayers, going to church, reading your Bible, taking the sacraments by faith. These things, he's not saying they don't matter. What he is saying is if we do not rest in Christ's work and, and live according to that rest, then nothing else really matters. So we're called to live free. We are free because Christ has set us free. And I love that, that phrase, why... Christ, why did you set us free so that you could be free? Well, why do you want me to be free so that you can have freedom? It's just like, it's just circular. But that's exactly why he has come, so that we can be free. The, the means and the end is the same thing. To live in light of our reality, our identity in Christ. We don't work in order to obtain that reality. We rest in that reality so that that reality can be manifested in our life. So here's where we'll close. What does it look like to live free? First is don't neglect freedom. Freedom is fragile. My favorite pastors and Christian authors, Tim Keller, says this, we need to turn our minds to who we are and what we have in Christ so often that our hearts are stirred and our behavior brought into line with these unseen realities. We need to continually guard our hearts, guard our minds, Guard ourselves against legalism. Legalism is taking something not ultimate and making it an ultimate thing in our life. 
and slipping back into this pattern of performance-based acceptance with God. It is so easy to intellectually believe in the work of Christ and yet not live free. So we train ourselves. We read. We listen. We pray. We talk about the gospel. We differentiate between what does it mean to trust in the grace of God? What does it mean that I'm accepted because of Christ and what he has done? And what does it mean to to not believe that and not live like that? What does it mean to please people and not please God? What does it mean to live in paralyzing fear of, of who we are and what people might find out about us? And secondly, we're encouraged here by Paul not only to not neglect freedom, but not to abuse freedom, because it's possible to abuse freedom. It is possible to use our freedom as an excuse for sin. He says this, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We are set free to live free, and free people obey God and do it cheerfully, and because they love the things that God loves, and they hate the things that God hates. Not to earn His love, but as an expression and, and from His love. Christians do, if you may be confused at this point, Christians do have to obey God. And the motivation is because the love of Christ has filled us and overflows in our life into a life of faithfulness. Because as we are united to Christ, we identify with Christ in His suffering, in His laying down of His life, and in His resurrection, in His new life, in a life that is whole and glorious. And we're called to the same things. The gospel never, neither leads us to live a, a guilty life bound in our sin, nor does, it live, nor does it lead us into a life that is a sinful life with license and doing whatever we want. And living in the gospel freedom is a, a discipline of the heart to develop our heart to delight in God, delight in all that we have been given in Christ, our adoption, our righteousness, our forgiveness, our salvation, our fellowship, our unity with Christ the promise that he has given to us, a future that rests on hope in him. All of these things, living in the gospel means that we reflect on those things regularly. We think about it and then we say, what does this mean for this situation? What does it mean for my particular challenge that I am faced with right now? Realize that you believe the gospel if there is this challenge in your life, if you realize, you know what, I am not experiencing the joy of freedom. It is okay to say, God, I, I, I am assured of your work, and therefore I am secure in you forever. But my freedom is fragile, and I am weak, and I'm not living in light of this reality. Do you need to extend, do you need to extend this kind of grace to someone in your life? Have you been holding up to somebody in your life uh, this list of laws and basically saying to them, here is how you will be important to me. Follow these rules. And if you don't follow these rules, then you will have a black mark on your life forever. Then we are doing to them what Christ doesn't even do to us. 
we are holding them up to a standard that we admittedly can't even live up to ourselves. Maybe you have that person in your mind right now. Because real faith, as Paul says, will flow out and act out, manifest itself in a real love for God and love for others. Who is that person that you have held a law up to and says, here's how you'll be important? If you can't come up with anybody, think of the person in your life that deserves it the least. Think about the person that doesn't deserve to be free. Maybe that person's you. Maybe you are the person that doesn't deserve it, and you look at God and you say, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to be free. Look at all the things that I have done. Then you are the perfect candidate for the grace of Christ. You may have not been living in gospel freedom. You may have not been living a life of freedom up to this point. But that doesn't mean that when you leave from here or tomorrow, that needs to be the same. You don't have to clean yourself up and then come to Christ and say, okay, I'm ready. Because it's not about your performance. It's not about your character. It's not about you performing all the, the letter of the law. It is about Christ and what he has done. Do you believe him? Do you rest in him? Do you trust in him? Regain that today. If you're a believer and you have somehow forgotten this and your life doesn't line up with it, then, then reclaim that and regain that today and determine that I will, I will focus on this. I will recycle these things in my life. I will read about these things. I will pray about these things. I will see the word of God in my life through this lens that Christ has died for me. I have received him by faith and therefore I am free. And if you're not a believer, you should know that maybe this is the first time you've ever heard it about freedom and what Christ has really done for you and for us. That he has not counted our sins against us, but he has died on the cross. He has actually taken those sins and placed them on his own body, on his own life, and he has died the death that we deserve so that we can live the life that only he deserves. Freedom with God. Let's pray. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com.